Women shouldn't have jobs, they should stay at home and cook and clean. Northerners, especially Geordies, they're all thick and they've got no qualifications, but they can lift heavy things. Teenagers, they only grunt and all they want to do is rob you. Old people, oh, they are grumpy and spend all their life complaining. Policemen are racist, politicians are liars, and French people ride bikes with onions around their necks. Good. I'm glad you haven't stood up and walked out as I've said through that list because of course that list is a load of rubbish. They're stupid. They're daft because they are stereotypes. And a stereotype is basically, well the dictionary describes it as an oversimplified image of a person or a group. So yeah, some teenagers might grunt, but it's a stereotype to say all teenagers do. And all of those things I've just said are all stereotypes. But the problem is, we actually like to think in stereotypes because it can make life quite simple. We can end up slipping people into compartments, and uh, we usually have stereotypes about people that we don't know, but then once we get to know them, the stereotype starts to dissolve. So if you visited France recently, and you probably didn't see many people, if any, driving around with, on, on bikes with onions around their necks, the stereotype of French people will dissolve when you're faced with the reality. Well, if it's so easy to slip into these stereotypes about God, about other people, then why not stereotypes about God? Run ahead of myself there. Now, the fact is that loads of people do actually have stereotypical views of who God is. And it's not just people from outside the church, but Christians who've been coming to church for years can end up dipping into these st sentimental stereotypes. And the only way of breaking these things down is to get to know him as he really is. Because when you know the reality, the stereotype dissolves. So in our passage today, God says in verse 22, he talks about the Israelites um, and says that at the time, basically they are fools, they do not know me. Now he doesn't mean that they are thick, that they're too thick to know him, but actually they are ignoring the scriptures that they had about him and the heritage that they had to draw upon. Um, they're, they're ignoring that in favor of dangerous stereotypes and for that God calls them fools. Well. We don't want to be called fools, do we? Stumbling around like senseless children when it comes to something so important as who God is. Well, if we don't want to be fools, then we're going to have to break down some stereotypes. So that's what um, I really want to do with you um, today. And there's three stereotypes I want to explore in particular. That God is just a teddy bear. That God is just an option on the supermarket shelf. And thirdly, that God is just an angry lightning bolt. The first thing is God is just a teddy bear. I wonder um, how many of you had a teddy bear or a cuddly toy when you were growing up. I had one called Furry Face because um, he had a furry face. Clever, eh? And um, I still actually have it. And I wonder if you've still got some of the teddy bears that you had when you were young. And it's not surprising that you would want to hang on to some of these things because they bring so much comfort and they make us feel warm and all cuddly inside. And of course, it's not a surprise that we might want to hang on to the idea that God is like one of those teddy bears. He's soft and he's cuddly. But we want to ask ourselves the question, is God actually a comfy teddy bear or could that be a stereotype? Well, actually in many ways, God is like a teddy bear in the sense that God brings great comfort in times of distress. In fact, um, God the Holy Spirit is sometimes referred to as the comforter. Um, and in many ways, God really is cozy and comforting. I, I must admit, sometimes um, I've read the Bible or I've just popped into a church and I've just had that sense of coziness of saying, oh yes, this is, this is a good place to be. And it's comforting. And plenty of you um, listening to me now will uh, be able to testify to the fact that God has brought you comfort over the years. 
but is it really the comfort of a teddy bear? Well, you might be surprised at how many people do actually see God like that, and maybe you do too. You see, people who see God as a teddy bear might only bring him out when life is tough. So when things get okay, well, actually they put him back in the cupboard again. You know, no need for childish things like God, unless you're feeling maybe nostalgic or sentimental. So oh, Christmas comes around and it's time to bring out some of your old toys to show your kids. And in a similar way, Christmas comes around, it's time to get nostalgic and bring out the teddy bear of God and maybe visit church. Um, but of, of course, as soon as the season passes, it's time to go back home and never go to church again until the next nostalgic time comes around or if a time comes around which is, is, is heart, heartache comes around and then we want to bring God the teddy bear out of the cupboard. But I'd like to focus on a different way of how we can look at God like a teddy bear. Have you ever seen a shop do a product recall? Uh, maybe you've walked into Boots or something, and some Boots do this a lot, actually. I, <laughs> they've got dodgy equipment or something. But um, you might go into Boots and they've got a like a picture on the on the door and it says something like Barbie doll um, has been discovered to have poisoned venomous snakes coming out of it so please return for a refund or it's got a big railway spike coming out of its head um, so basically you have this once cozy toy turns out to be not so cozy so we send it back to the shop and quite rightly so but how many people have been attracted to the coziness and the comfort of God but then have found something in the Bible like, I don't know, God getting angry, for example, or verses about God's um, view on, on sexuality or other um, controversial issues and think, ooh, hang on, that doesn't seem like the kind of God that I want. And as soon as we discover that he has a bit of sharp edges, we send it back to the shop and we technically reject him. Or, at best, and this isn't really that great either, um, we just ignore those tough verses because we like to stick to this stereotype of God, the cozy teddy bear. But surely we would want to know the truth about who God is. And if we stick to stereotypes about God, like him being a teddy bear, it's as good as believing that all French people have onions around their neck. It might be a nice image, but it's simply not the truth. So what is the truth about God? Well, yes, he comforts us, but he has an absolutely revolutionary side. He rocks the boat. If he is a teddy bear, then he actually does have some pretty sharp edges. Do you want some evidence of God's sharp edges? Well, what about um, here in this passage that we're reading? In verses 11 to 12, God speaks through Jeremiah and he says this, A scorching wind from the barren heights in the desert blows towards my people, but not to winnow or cleanse, a wind too strong for that comes from me, from me. This is coming from God. You know, God doesn't send the people a gentle breeze as we might expect. Oh, yeah, God, the cozy God will bring us a lovely breeze. And, you know, he's always doing things that will make us feel lovely and cozy. And yet here he's sending a scorching tempest that ruins the land and it destroys the nation. If God is just a teddy bear, well, we're going to just have to ignore this verse, I think. Oh, we don't like the idea of this, uh, this thing about God's judgment or God getting angry. Or what about other sharp verses in the Bible? Listen to this, Hebrews 10, 36. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. <laughs> you don't find that written on many Christian bookmarks, do you? Or little devotional cards. Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. These are strong words. What about these words from Jesus about the final judgment of all nations? Listen to this. Matthew 25, um, 41. Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This stuff absolutely rocks the cozy image of the teddy bear God who never offends us. 
yeah, we can discuss what these verses might mean, um, but let's face it, these are not the sort of cozy things that you might want God to say, but he says them nevertheless. And of course, verses like this are a reminder. We cannot domesticate God. He's deep, he's mysterious, and though we can know him, we can't make him into a cozy teddy bear. And to be fair, would you really, I mean really, would you want God as a little fluffy toy that you bring out now and again? Surely that is not God. In the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis discusses this idea and um, he discusses it where the, the characters um, in the book are de describing Aslan, the lion, who's supposed to represent Jesus. And they say this, Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly, certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. That you will, dearie, and make no mistake, said Mr. Beaver. If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or else just silly. And he isn't safe, said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver's telling you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I just think that's a great uh, passage that shows that God is a great comfort, but he is no little teddy bear. Another verse that might have something of a sharp edge is John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this verse leads us to the second stereotype I want to explore with you. And it's the fact that some people see God as just an option on the supermarket shelf. You know, I guess I don't fit the stereotype of blokes, um, many blokes, because um, I, I actually quite enjoy shopping. Um, I enjoy looking around the shelves and seeing what different things are available. And um, one of the things when I go grocery shopping um, is I really like cereal and I can spend ages trying to pick which cereal to have. I even have cereal, not only for breakfast, but sometimes even for a dessert in the evening. I am so rock and roll. Um, but yeah, the thing is, when I'm looking at all these cereals on the shelf, um, to be honest, one, one choice is as good as another. I could choose um, Cocoa Pops. Well, I don't really eat Cocoa Pops, but I could eat them. Or I could choose Corn Flakes or Rice Krispies, Weetabix. You know, none of them is any better than the other. It's entirely up to me. And I am the person who chooses which one is the best. So if I buy Tesco value, that is the best. If I, You know, it's, it's my choice. Nobody forces me into choosing it. Okay, there's advertising and things, but you know, that, that's the idea. Personal choice. Personal choice is the watchword, the mantra for the modern world. So as consumers, we've come to expect choice, not just in um, cereal, but um, in what car we drive, in the clothes we wear. And yes, we might be influenced by advertising in the media, but ultimately, the idea is that we make our own informed choices. Well, like any movement in society, the idea of consumerism affects how people view religion. So that we see religious beliefs as an option on the supermarket shelf. So we stand there in life and we decide, well, I could try Christianity. Or maybe I'm in the mood for Buddhism. Or how about Scientology, Islam? Or maybe I'll have a mixture of all of them. You know, like those variety packs of cereal you used to get, you know, seven different ones for each day. So you'll get a snippet of each one because, oh, I'll take that little bit of Christianity, that little bit of Scientology, or that little bit of Islam. And of course we can choose no religion at all and pick the cereal box that is, God doesn't exist or something, you know. And the point is we all have that choice. Now God is very pro-personal choice. 
He, he, that's why he doesn't force us to become Christians. The idea that God wants to force you to become a Christian against your will is an anathema. It's just, it, it, it doesn't make sense. The idea of being a Christian is that it is your choice. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that all those choices are equally valid. It doesn't actually take long to realize that this pick and mix approach to God doesn't make a great deal of sense. On Sunday, um, I met with uh, the people who run STEP. That's an organization who share their Christian faith with secondary schools in the region. And they do a big lesson in which the hall is made out to be a board game. And they have to answer certain questions. The, the students have to answer certain questions about God. And they can only say yes or no. There's no sitting on the fence. So it's things like, do you believe in God? Yes or no. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Yes or no. Do you believe in the devil? Do you believe in reincarnation? Do you believe in heaven and that your loved ones are there? Those sort of questions. And apparently the game really makes them think because that when the pupils leave, they find themselves questioning their own logic because they say things like, well, I don't believe in God or the devil, but I do believe my loved ones will go to heaven when they die. That doesn't make sense, they'll say. How can I have heaven without God? If I believe in heaven, then I really ought to consider the God part of the equation. I obviously haven't thought this through. Or um, other people can come out and say, well, I believe in reincarnation, but I also believe in heaven. Now, how's that possible? When you really think about that, because if I believed in reincarnation, well, there'd be no one for heaven because everyone would be reincarnated. If I believed in heaven, well, everyone would be going to heaven. So they wouldn't be coming back on earth. But how can both things exist at the same time? It's illogical, Captain, as they say. And when we start thinking about our beliefs and stereotypes, as we like hold them up to the light and see what comes through that, it will challenge our assumptions. For example, it will challenge the assumption that all religions are just the same God. But does that, make, does that really make sense when you think about it? So many people say that. So many people believe that all religions or you know whatever you believe, as long as you sincerely believe it, then it's all equally valid. But listen, the claims of the different religions are so diverse. They're so in opposition in many ways. Yes, there's lots of things, a common ground and things we can learn from one another, but there are some fundamentals that are so different. Really, they, they do not work together in the way that um, many people seem to think. It's a superficial um, idea to say that everything is just exactly the same because their ideas about God, their ideas about salvation are very, very different. And on that idea of salvation, my question would be this, if we could go to heaven and be forgiven by God through all religions, so for example, um, you know, just for, well, any other religion um, other than Christianity, if it's an equally valid way of getting to um, God and having salvation and all that, then you've got to ask the question, what sort of sick God would send his only son to the cross to die a horrible death if it was possible to be saved some other way? And if that's true, if all religions are the same, then in some ways it's worth rejecting Christianity because it paints a picture of a God who tortures his own son when really he could have just told us all to follow a different religion and his son wouldn't have had to suffer that. No, the claim of Jesus is that there is no other way but him. The claim of God and the God of the Bible is that God is absolutely central. And Jesus is the best expression of God because he was God. These are things that other religions would be like, whoa, I don't agree with that. And fair enough. You know, we all have these different opinions. They're different, but it's superficial and it's a stereotype to say that they're all valid, all equally, sorry, all equal the same. 
you've got to pick and choose, right? You've got to like investigate these things and work out for you what do you think is the right path? Which one do you think it is? For me, I was convinced that Jesus was the, the, was the correct one. Now, our passage makes it clear that without God at the center, and particularly the God of the Bible this is talking about, because obviously it's, it's, it's the Bible that's speaking here, um, this description of Israel falling apart in verses 23 to 26, um, it just shows that without God there, the, the world sort of uncreates. And it actually uses creation language. It says it will be formless and empty. There'll be no light. It's an exact reversal of Genesis 1.1. He's saying that God cannot be an optional extra because without him, the world would uncreate and it would be plunged into chaos. No, he created us, he sustained us, and he can save us from the consequences of our sin. And so, really, according to the Bible, Jesus is not an optional extra because the claims of the Old Testament are, you know, um, taken up in the New Testament where it says Jesus is the way to God and without him, the world falls apart, that he sustains the world. Jesus is not an optional extra. He is absolutely vital to all existence, both now in this life and, of course, in the life to come. So that's a second stereotype, that God is just an option on the supermarket shelf. The third one, and the final one, is God is just an angry lightning bolt. We've already discussed um, how we can see God as just a teddy bear, and I tried to explain that he has some sharp edges that we just can't ignore. But just as people who can have an overly fluffy view of God can fall into a stereotype, other people can have an overly sharp view of God. And people see him as a grumpy, angry old warmonger in the sky who can't wait to send a lightning bolt to smite the heathen. Well, this sort of stereotype can lead to people feeling absolutely guilt-ridden and frightened of God. And these passages might appear to back that image up, actually, when you read this passage 27 to 28. But the fact is, God is not just an angry lightning bolt. That's not to deny God's anger. And in these passages and others, we see them. But as we pointed out last week, what God has to do to um, Israel here, because of their, um, their defiance of him, it absolutely breaks his heart. And he has been giving them so many opportunities. But the idea is not to wipe out these people completely. There's hope. Verse 27, the whole land will be ruined, though I will not destroy it completely. So God did punish the Israelites, but he kept the remnant. From that remnant came Jesus himself, the one who would make it possible for us all to be reconciled to God. This is the God we're talking about. Um, you might get um, freaked out by this language where God is uncreating the world and everything, but don't miss out that one single little verse, verse 27, that it will not be destroyed completely. This is the God we're talking about, the God who still wants to have hope, ultimately. And if you find yourself with a view of God that is pure anger or constant judgment, I'd really encourage you to check out the Gospels again, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because Jesus said that if you want to know what God is like, look at him. And in the Gospels, we find a God who is loving and kind with amazing patience. And yes, he certainly does have sharp edges, and we shouldn't ignore those. We should check them out and, and try and understand what they mean. And to say he didn't have them is to treat them like a teddy bear. But in any discussion about God and his sharp edges or, you know, the options in life and whether or not he's the right option, we've got to consider 1 John 4 that says that God is love. Look up love in the dictionary and there's a, God, there's a passport photo and it's God's face going, hey, that's me. <laughs> he is love. He's the personification. Oh, he isn't just the personification, actually. He is love. That's what love is. 
It's not just a factor of his character. He is actually love. Love is not God. God is love. So this idea of God being just an angry lightning bolt, it's another stereotype. Well, there's three stereotypes we've tried to, um, to knock down. And it's always good to break down stereotypes because they end up widening your horizons. I used to think Christians were sad losers until I met some and, and they started breaking the stereotype. They started being like fairly normal people, um, you know, into some of the same things I was, like music and, and, and films and things. Um, if you visit France and you discover that the French all um, wear all sorts of different clothes and don't all ride bikes and wear berries with baguettes under their arms, it can't help but be more invigorating because you see a truer picture. And the truer the picture is, well, the more complex it is, and it's always more challenging and it's always more confusing sometimes in, in, in your face, but it's always more satisfying because it's the truth. So Jesus asked his disciple this question, who do you say I am? And he asks us that same question this morning, who do you say God is? Who do you say Jesus is? The expression, the, 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 the God in human form. Is he just a cute little teddy bear with no sharp edges? No challenge to your life whatsoever? If that's true, then you're not getting the true God. You're getting bogged down with some sort of stereotype. You're getting part of it, but you're not getting the true picture. Do you see him as just an option on the supermarket shelf and amongst hundreds of equally valid options? Well, have you really thought that through? Spend some time seriously thinking about that. Does it make any logical sense? Or is he just an angry lightning bolt here to wipe us out? Well, I don't think so. Not when he is actually love itself. Well, I believe he's more than just these stereotypes. So let's make it our life's mission to find out the truth about who Jesus really is. Or in other words, who God really is. Through prayer, through getting to grips of the Bible, through service and worship, we can actually know him. If we don't bother, we'll have no understanding. We won't know who God is. We'll stumble around like children. And guess what? We won't know God. And therefore, we'll be fools, as God says in this passage. Have you noticed that God won't let it lie? That he keeps calling us to know him? You've heard this before. God keeps knocking on your door. In fact, he wants a personal relationship with you. That's why I went to the cross to pave the way for you to be reconciled to God. The only way you will ever truly break down your stereotypes is by meeting him personally. Because when you meet someone personally, those stereotypes begin to dissolve. Today, you can do that. All you have to do is ask him into your life, ask for forgiveness, and ask him to give you a new start. And you'll know him personally, and the stereotypes will be gone.